We hope you enjoy this message recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. Well, it's good to be in church, isn't it? Why don't you give your creative team just a round of applause, show them some appreciation. It's pretty inspiring, uh, isn't it? You know, I got, you know, you guys probably don't realize, but it's probably good every week here, right? But it's, it's so it's so cool that people set aside their own time and commit their own gifts and skills just to create a space for me to worship God, uh, where I'm not distracted by the sound of my own voice, you know. And uh, it's just so awesome that you guys lead so well, and uh, it's inspiring. And you know, good to be with a bunch of people, eh? You know, sometimes I think, you know, sometimes I think life would be better all by myself. Have you ever had those thoughts? There's a strain that runs through our family. We're, we're actually from, our family, my dad's family are from this general area. My grandfather grew up in Livingston, inland from Omaru, and my grandmother was born in Western Southland in 1914, uh, which I can't imagine what that was like in 1914. But uh, there's a streak that runs through that side of our family of people who, who every now and then just go bush for a long time and when no one sees them. Uh, and, you know, there's sometimes, I don't, I don't know whether it's true of lots of human beings, but for me, there's this thing in my mind sometimes where I think, oh, I just want to be by myself. I just need some me time. Anyone do that? So hands, just a handful of us. Uh, but the reality is you, you don't last long in that sort of a space, right, where you're, where you're isolated or you're separated. And there's something so cool about coming together on a Sunday morning. You know, out of all the pressure, the busyness of our week, or the struggles we're facing, or the all the victories we've seen, and just just focusing our attention together on God. There's something really powerful about it uh, that I don't really have. The, I don't even have the words for. I keep talking about this idea of as we come together, there's something that happens. The Bible speaks about it. There's these different words, but it's it's actually bigger than the words we might use to describe what happens at church. You know, sometimes we come here out of habit, right? And that's and that's a good habit. Right, but sometimes because we're doing things out of good habit, we forget the power of why we're doing it. All right, and so I just want to point your attention to that before we go any further. Is that cool? Very, very cool. Well, if you don't know me, like uh, Pastor Will said, my name is Jordan, and uh, we live in Wellington. My wife Chrissy and I, we've got four children. Uh, so we have a girl who is 15, so she's doing first year of NCEA, uh, which is no trouble at all. She knows what she's doing. Me and her mum have no idea uh, what's going on. And uh, uh, we have a 13-year-old son, Elliot, who is just started his first year at Wellington College. He's enjoying high school. Uh, he gets home from school at about 5 p.m. after wandering around the city, going to the shops, hanging out with his mates. Uh, that's a bit scary. <laughs> uh, but anyway, and then we have a 10-year-old, Austin, who is, um, you need to remember his name because he will rule the world at some point in the not-too-distant future. Uh, and then our daughter, Lucia, is seven. And I don't know if you've got more than one child, but the youngest has grown up with an audience. Uh, right, and she knows how to work a crowd. She's hilarious. So uh, we have lots of fun. And, uh, you know, as a family, one of the things we've done, uh, we've begun many years ago. This feels like years and years and years ago. We've begun planning, extending our house. So we live in a three-bedroom Beasley home. So uh, the maths, four children, three bedrooms. And, and then if you know a Beasley home, that third bedroom in a Beasley home is a, is a special sort of a place. Uh, uh, right, it's, a, it's an interesting concept. You know, it's got the title 
bedroom. But the interesting thing about this, the third bedroom in our house, is that it has, because it's a 1970s design, it's got a really cool, in the 1970s, like, full-height window in one of the walls. Okay, and so that's one of the walls, and then there's a wall there, then there's the door there into the hallway, then there's another little half wall. You with me? So have you have you noticed something? We've got a problem here because now there's a wardrobe, right? So what you didn't find in that description, if you're particularly spatially intelligent, right, you would have noticed that there was I didn't identify anywhere where you could put a bed. Did you notice that? <laughs> right? So what I did is uh, a few years ago, I solved this problem on a, a Equip Her Weekend. How you know Equip Her Weekends is where that's where stuff gets done around the house, right? <laughs> Finally, the housework gets done, right? So I finished doing all the laundry and the vacuuming and uh, all of that. And it was sort of like 10 a.m. on the Saturday because really it's a pretty easy job looking after children. So the... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some people, some people think I'm, I'm not brave, but I'm brave. That is a brave thing to say. Right? Yeah, I'll be ex- exiting the building through that door at the end of the sermon. But anyhow, I built, what I did is I built some bunks that were specially designed to fit behind the door so that the bedroom could be a bedroom with the beds in it. All right, and so I built these bunks, and what I did was I measured our oldest at the time, Madeline, who's she was 10 years old at the time. And if you haven't met my wife, one of the things you need to know about my wife, Christine, is that she is efficient. She doesn't take up any more space than a human being needs to take up. She claims to be five foot two inches tall, and we'll just let her have it, right? We'll just let her have it. If you want to be five foot two, you can be five foot two. I'm not sure that she quite measures that. But because of that and the way genetics works, our children are also environmentally efficient units. They take up very small amount of space. So I measured my 10-year-old daughter at the time, and I thought, if I make some bunks that fit this 10-year-old, these bunks will work until the two youngest are 10. Right, So my second youngest is now 10, and he fits the bunk brilliantly. Right, But because of our mixture of boys and girls, we, it didn't work out. So I built these bunks. They're, they're, they're short and they're narrow. And then I've made the mattress fit with the, the use of a knife. Just cut it to size. It's brilliant. Right? So our 10-year-old son fits on it brilliantly, right? And, 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 and our 7-year-old daughter, though, she shares a room with her 15-year-old sister. Right, because that's how it has to happen, right? Well, I didn't. I, I was unaware of puberty at the time of designing these bunks, right? And um, so, so now our thirteen-year-old son, he's significantly larger human being than our ten-year-old daughter was, right? And so now, now um, when he's lying on the bed, uh, they go to bed. The boys go to bed. I don't know if. Uh, our daughters go to bed, they go to bed and they ask to be tucked in and you tuck them in and they, they, they curl up under the covers and they remain there, that's it. They lie there, they wake up in the morning and, and that, you know, you close the door, turn the light off, it's all good. Right? But the boys, you go, go to bed, go to bed, get to bed, you mongrels, you know, you get, get out of bed. Get out of bed and brush your teeth, you know. Sometimes it's like, you're going to say goodnight, and you're like, oh, get out of bed and have a shower, you disgusting animal. When did you last have a shower, you know? No one can remember, right? No one can remember. There's no... Uh, and and so often they go to bed and like with the light on, the windows open, they're on top of the covers, you know what I mean, and in fully clothed and you know football gear, whatever. 
And so often you go in there to close the windows, close the blind, turn the lights off, turn the music off, you know, and, uh, and then you have to lift up Elliot's legs like that and pull the door closed behind you. So that's where we were, and we decided we didn't want to remain there any longer, and we thought we'd buy another house, but the property market changed and such that it was better for us to extend our house. So we thought, right, let's make some plans and extend the house, right? And in the planning process, the draftsman said to me this. He said, when we build the deck, good idea, right? When we build the deck, we'll, we'll, put, we'll make it a little bit stronger than we have to just to strengthen up the whole house. Because if you know anything about Beasley Homes, they didn't use any wood that they didn't have to use, right? It's, it's very, very minimal. It's, it's, it's a minimalist ideal, right? It's also, yeah. And so we thought oh, we'll make the deck a, a little bit stronger, right? And so what happened was when the timber arrived for the deck, it was a very surprising thing, right? So there's bits of wood that hold up the house that are that big. You're aware of these bits of wood under your house? Have a look. Bits of wood, four by four, piece of pine, holds up the whole house, right? And next to it is the eight by eight timber laminate laminate post of the new deck, right? (laughs) That we had to put in, right? And these these things are massive. I said to my wife, Chrissy, I said, how much do you reckon those posts were? She said, oh, $700. I was like, each. (laughs) Yeah, right? And so... It was expensive, like, wow, we'll make it a little bit stronger. Turned out to be a lot more expensive, (laughs) right? It's good, though, because the house doesn't move in the wind any longer, which is fantastic. So um, you used to be able to tell when it was windy, even inside, you could tell when it was windy because the water in the toilet was going like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, we've all got, everyone's got sea legs, you know? can make it down the hallway without falling over. And so we built, we built this deck that's a little bit stronger, but a lot more expensive. And the, the post was humongous. And they had to go into the ground 1,200, 1.2 meters, right? Which is fantastic. Like if, you, if, there, was, if there was any topsoil, that would have been good, right? But our, 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 when they designed our subdivision on the hill in Karori, they just scraped the top off and built houses. So to dig down to 1,200, we thought, we won't dig those holes. We'll get the guys with the digger just to drop the auger in and dig them out, right? Which is really good, except that the auger can't dig through it, right? So then we had to go to the hardware store and buy one of those long poles. Because we're making the house a little bit stronger. It turned out a little bit stronger was a lot more expensive, right? It turned out a little bit stronger was also a lot harder, And I just think, sometimes we think we want to be a little bit stronger and we forget that to be a little bit stronger, we have to invest a whole lot more. And to be a little bit stronger, we have to work a whole lot harder. We would like it to be the other way. And sometimes our mind thinks this, if I work a little bit harder, I'll be a lot stronger. But you know, it's not true. If you work a lot stronger, a lot harder, you become a little bit stronger. Think about if you think about if you want to go to the gym. How hard do you have to work to increase your strength just a little bit? Well, I have no idea. I just imagine uh, I've got I've got no practical experience of the gym, but I'm just assuming that it works the same as manufacturing and building a house, right? Because I think I've touched on a universal law and I've applied it to the gym because I've seen some people in the room who, who um, have been to the gym, right? You have to work. What about if you're going to do a little bit better financially? I'm going to pay a little bit more attention and I'm going to be a whole lot richer. 
Right? How many know you have to have a, a whole lot of attention to actually just to manage your budget? <laughs> right? That's why we all buy a lot of tickets, because we think, oh, a little bit, a little bit of a... Not you people, I mean, I mean dumb people from mindset. People, we buy... <laughs> That's, but how can you, how do they sell a lotto ticket? They sell a lotto ticket on this idea that a little bit of investment is going to produce a lot of return. But we found in the development of our house, the extension of our house, that a little bit stronger equaled a whole lot more money and a little bit stronger equaled a whole lot more hard work, right? One of the things we ended up doing was we, we had to do some new windows in the new part of the house. And then because uh, of safety concerns, you have to have safety glass in all the wet areas now. So we had to change the glass of the kitchens and the bathrooms and the whole house. So we thought, oh, we might as well, rather than just changing the glass and keeping our 1970s brown aluminium window frames, we thought let's take the opportunity to change all of the windows in the whole house. Okay, I won't talk through the budget implications of that. Uh, but there was there's a, there, there's a non there was a non trivial change in budget expectation, <laughs> right? And so, which meant we had to do a lot more labour ourselves. But by ourselves, it turned out to be me. Uh, and um, one of the things we did, we, uh, we got to build a friend who's a friend of my dad's. He's, he graduated. He, he he finished his apprenticeship in, in 1969. Uh, yeah, so if he, he, knows all, he knows all of the tricks that are in the book and all of the ones that they didn't write down. He knows all of the tricks, right? And so he's, he agreed to put all the windows in for us, which saved us about half the cost, which is pretty phenomenal, right? Um, so the windows arrived and we put them all in. Uh, we, he just cut, these, cut the, the old ones out and pulled them out, put the new ones in. It took us about three or four days to change all the windows over. Uh, he flew back to Auckland and then I had, this, this, I had just this little job, you know, and you know how builders say, they just say, I'll get some such and such and squeeze it in the system, what you watch out. You know, and the zibby zibby zab, you know, shakazow, shakazow. That's what, that's what I heard him say. And, um, <laughs> and so I went down the Mitre 10 and I said, I need some watch you watch out, No, I didn't. I didn't because I wasn't actually at Mitre 10, I was at Bunnings and there's nobody who works at Bunnings. There's just no one in there. You think, sweet, this is sweet. There's no one here. I'm just going to grab some stuff and go. But then suddenly someone appears as you're trying to leave, right? But where, where was that person when you were trying to find those? Do you know what I mean? They weren't in existence, right? They only appear at the money moment, right? You do all the work yourself. Right? It's like going to a restaurant, cooking the meal yourself, and then as you leave, they charge you. Anyway, I got this expanding foam. I thought to myself, I thought to myself this, I thought, how hard could this possibly be? <laughs> I thought about all my friends who were builders, and I thought, this can't be hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, for them, it probably isn't. <laughs> but what I did was, I opened it up, and it came with some gloves. Like, there were gloves in the, the top of the aerosol container. Like, wow, this is amazing. They were very small folded, and they were just like plastic gloves, so I put them on. Which limited my dexterity, I would say. It impacted on my, on my ability to control the ends of my fingers. I could still move my hands, but my, there was limited control there. Um, and so I'd cut holes around the window, and I was just all I had to do was squeeze a bit of the foam in. Right? As you squeeze it in, it begins to expand. And what it doesn't do is it doesn't stop expanding. <laughs> 
right? And then it expands out and it starts going everywhere, right? So then the shouting starts, right? Because clearly this is Chrissy's fault, right? Ah! I need this, I need that, I need all these other things that I didn't get organised before I started squeezing the foam, right? And it doesn't stop, it just keeps coming out. Right, so I'm squeezing it in, it's splurging, splurging out all over the place and dropping on the floor um, and getting everywhere. And some of it got onto, if you don't know, my, my wife is, uh, she has a business doing curtains and blinds, right? But, but not like your curtains and blinds, like she does curtains and blinds in such a way that we make a good living out of the fact that she does curtains and blinds for other people because she only does curtains and blinds, right? And so I managed to get some expense. This is not recorded. She doesn't listen to sermons anyway, but um, <laughs> she doesn't listen to my sermons anyway. Um, but some of, the, some of the expanding foam through no fault of my own managed to get itself onto the curtains, which I hadn't taken off before I began ex- putting the expanding foam uh, into the thing. But it's okay because I, I had the gloves. I'd been tidying up with the gloves as we went. And it turned out the expanding foam is just not just very expanding, it's also very, very sticky. Like, think of the stickiest thing you can imagine. This is, this is significantly more sticky than that, right? And so the gloves are sort of ripping a little bit and they're sticky everywhere. And because I had the expanding foam on my hands, I couldn't get the foam off the curtain. Well, I'm not stupid, I knew... I, I'm... Yeah, um, so I took the glove off, so I took this glove off, dropped that onto the drop sheet, which I'd got halfway through, which was not a drop sheet per se, it turned out to just be a sheet, uh, which I wasn't aware of, I just grabbed it out of the cupboard, and, you know, anyhow. So I now took the glove off, so I've got a clean hand, and then I, I reach forward, and I hear a strange popping sound, but I get the, but I get the foam off the curtain, no damage done. But I've, what I've done is I've popped the glove, right, by standing on it. But now I've got the sticky foam off the glove. I've got one glove, a glove stuck to a shoe, so I have to take the shoe and sock off and continue doing the rest of the phone with just the one, the, the one glove and the one shoe as we went around. And it was, it was incredibly messy. There's a huge amount of shouting. I think, um, you know, look at this face. I'm, I'm, I'm a 42-year-old man, but I, I think I lost 10 years of my life by saving a few hours of labor with my builder friend, right? Uh, since this, I've preached this sermon once before and I've had three or four different people come and explain to me the many, many, many things that I did wrong in the entire process, right? Right? But the thought I've had is this, that if we want it stro- a little bit stronger, a little bit stronger is a lot more expensive. It's a lot harder and it's really messy, like, I could have just put duct tape around those things. I'm sure it's been done before. Right? I could have just left the gaps there, right? A little bit drafty. But come on, but if we want it stronger, we have to be prepared to engage the, the expense and the energy, and we have to be happy to deal with the mess. We just have to get into it, right? It, it only took, to be honest, let's be honest, it only took seven days for me to get the dried foam off my hands. Right? A mere, just a mere seven days. Right? 
And I said to my builder friend, Brendan, who's, who's pastoring, going to pastor equipers in Pararua, and I was, as I was scratching at my hand, the bits, the hand started to bleed because I've been scratching it so much. And I said, how do you get this off? And he goes, and he's like, um, ah, you know, you just, you know, you just sit down, you know, you church, just sit down, scratch it off during the sermon. It gives you something to do when you watch watching TV. Uh, he goes, yeah. And I said, oh, I really should have kept the gloves on. He goes, ah, pretty much that's the only way. You just got to use your hand, tighten it up, and you'll scratch, it takes a few days, it'll be fine. But it's, it's true. Sometimes you just have to do it. You just have to. You just have to deal with the mess. Because we're not, we're, not, we're not living our life to avoid mess, avoid effort, or avoid expense. We're living our life to build something strong. And if our vision is about avoiding mess, well, you won't be here today. If your vision is about doing it easy, well, you're not here today. And if your vision is about avoiding expense, well, you're not here today. This is a group of people who we're saying, let's build something great for God. And let's engage as much as we can in the expense of it. Let's engage in the efforts in life. Let's engage in the mess of community because we want to build something stronger. Amen. Very, very cool. Are you with me? Okay, we've used up a significant portion of our time. So we're, we're, we're just about finished with the introduction, and so that's not, that's not true. It's not true. We're nowhere near finished. The, um, if you've got your Bible, I'm going to take you back to Ephesians chapter 1 because um, Pastor Willie stole half of my sermon, which is going to be good because it saves us time, right? Lunch is, on, lunch is going to be sooner than you thought. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to read from verse 3. I don't know whether we can get it on the screen. If we can't, that's no big drama. Um, And uh, it says this in verse 3. It says, How we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. This is one of those ones, right? It's one of those scriptures. How good is God? Well, here's one thing He's done. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. Because we've engaged our hearts with Christ, because we've engaged our lifestyle with the lifestyle of Christ, because we've engaged our relationships with the relationship in in the body of Christ, there's a blessing, there's a flow that takes place. There's a flow that happens from out of eternity into the realities of our life because we belong to Christ. Now, one of the problems that you have in your life is that you're so used to that flow, you're unaware of how good it is. You're unaware. You're unaware of how blessed you are. Because that flow has been flowing into our culture for hundreds of years, you're unaware that some of the things you take for granted are because of Christ at work. The reason you can run a business without having to pay bribes, the reason you can drive your up and down your street without someone driving their car, T-boning you at every red light that they drive through, is because we have a culture that's been built on a unity with Christ. It's not true all over the world. It's not true all over the world that you can just start a business without paying protection money. In fact, it's almost not true anywhere. It's only a few places in the world where you can literally live a life of order and safety and blessing as long as you get in the flow yourself, right? We actually take that for granted, this flow that's happening. And so often in our culture now, people are railing against the things that produced the wonder of our society, so our kids, my kids get told at school, you can be any type of gender that you want to, right? But 10,000 years of human history points to the fact that there's only two types of gender. 
Oh, but no, but there's, there's a million different ways to interpret reality. There's unlimited ways to interpret reality. That's what we're told today. That's what our kids get taught in school by 28-year-olds who have a bachelor's degree. <laughs> no offense if you're a school teacher, but you really don't know enough to talk about the realities of the universe. Right? The realities of the universe, you might imagine whatever they are, but the proof of history is that there are men and there are women, and then any other way you might think about life doesn't really have a long-term future. Now, I've got no problem with how you personally live your life, but I've got a problem with people telling my kids that there's an infinite number of ways to interpret reality. Because that's true, there are an infinite number of ways to interpret reality, and nearly all of them are wrong. You could interpret reality like this. I could jump off this building if I want to, and you can. But that's at least, at least an unhelpful way of interpreting reality. You might call it right or wrong, but, but I call it right and wrong. That's the wrong way, based on outcome. The outcome that you get when you interpret reality like that is a wrong outcome, Right? But the outcome that we get when we interpret reality right is a good outcome. That's how we determine right or wrong. What's the outcome? Right? You true? Is that true? Right? And when we think about who we are and the position that we're in, we've got to understand the reality of the world that we live in. The reality of the world we live in is that we are blessed in heavenly places because we belong to Christ. Every spiritual blessing that could be extended to us has been extended to us. Oh, but I'm not really experiencing that in my life, Pastor Jordan. Well, the reality is it's true. Our experience of blessing is different than what's available to us, which is exactly what Pastor Will was saying this morning, exactly what the Apostle Paul said when we stole the ideas of him really today. Uh, exactly what he said 2,000 years ago is that God's done this cosmic work this cosmic reality, this shift in cosmic reality, uh, that every spiritual blessing is available to us in Christ because we belong to Christ. His unchanging plan has always been here ready. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into His family. That's a cool picture. When we think about building something strong, we got to understand what we're building is this family of God connected with this blessing of God that's happened cosmically. Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 is all about the cosmic work of Christ. And chapter 4, 5, and 6 is all about how that works out in everyday real life. Ephesians is one of those books you have to know back to front because it speaks to the cosmic reality and it speaks to how does that cosmic reality relate to the world that we live in, right? One of the things that's in Ephesians, oh, let's read 19 to 23 as well for fun. Is that right? 19 to 23, this, we've already heard this this morning, but we'll read it again. It says, I pray that you'll begin to understand the incredible greatness of His power, which is for us, wow, who believe. That's a good verse. Well said, Pastor Willie. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else in this world or in the world to come. And all God has put all things under the authority of Christ and He gave Him this authority for the benefit of the church. And the church is His body. It is filled and by Christ and who... It is filled by Christ who fills everything everywhere with His presence. So here's this picture. God's done this cosmic shift in Christ. We see a, a change of the cosmic realities of the universe that we live in, right? And then that cosmic reality, the power of that is expressed into the earth through this thing called the church, right? 
the gathering of God's people, the church, and church is not a church is a word that when it gets to us in English, it couldn't be more wrong. The English word church comes to us via Germany, where they when they described that church in Germany, they just it's a I don't know, it was simplified language at the time. They just used the word Kirka, which means stone building. Right? And, and it, it, it's, it's, when I say it couldn't be more wrong, it couldn't be more limited. Right? Church, that's why we get this, that's why in our culture now, because of the way the language works, we think church is about, oh, we come to the building. Right? And absolutely true, you do. You do come to the building. There is a stone building that is the church, but it's not the one you can see. Right? Okay, you with me? You're holding on? You're holding on? Okay. Uh, in, in the message translation, it says this, all this energy issues from Christ, who rules over governments and galaxies. And the church, you see, it says in, a, in the message, it paraphrases, it says, the church is not peripheral or on the edge of the world, but the whole of the world is on the edge of the church. So here's the cosmic reality of how we live, is that Christ has affected cosmic change universally. And then the expression of that cosmic change is through the person of Christ into the body of Christ, which is the church. So the church is His body that fills everything. And through the church, God fills everything everywhere with His presence. And a way of thinking about that is that that, put, that positions the church at the very center of everything God's doing. Everything God does in the world, He wants to do through the work of the church. Now, why He's done that is beyond our comprehension, but that's how He's chosen to operate. Now, nearly nothing God does in the whole Bible makes any sense, right? Until afterwards. So now we can look at the tabernacle and then see the pattern and the, and the plan. And now we look at Jericho and we think, yeah, obviously, if you walk around the buildings, you walk around the city seven times, of course it's going to fall down. But at the time, they didn't think that. They were just like, what is this thing that we're in? Well, these cosmic realities are expressing themselves in the here and now, right? And it makes no sense to begin with. And sometimes church is one of those things. Have you noticed it's a little bit messy? No, not here. I mean, in the, I'm obviously talking about the church in general. It's pretty messy, right? There's foam on the carpets and the people leading have got one glove and one shoe on. Right? But the reality, the reality is it's really messy and it's really hard and it's really expensive because we're building something. There's something happening of cosmic significance right now. Right now, in this moment, God's building something in us. In the book of Ephesians, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to pick out two ideas out of Ephesians, but there's seven core ideas which speak about the reality of the people of God, the church of God, the plan of God, right? And these seven things are, the, 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 the first one we've heard is that the, 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 the church is God's family. God's plan has always been to adopt us into His family. The next picture that you have of the church is that the church is His body, made full and complete by Him. It's talked about the church being His building, so something that God is building. And it talks about it being His temple. Now, those are really important. It says temple, talks about the church being a temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it also talks about the church being a building. Really, those are two really important things. Because if the church was just a temple, you wouldn't be allowed in it. 
because temples are only for holy people, right? But it's not just a temple, it's also a building. And we're all allowed in buildings, right? And those two pictures together tell us something. It's a building for everyone that's, and for holy people. And everyone comes in and becomes holy people as they come in. We become worthy of dwelling in the temple because we came into the building. Right? It's like the church is a mixture of a temple and a Baptist youth hall. Right? That's why we say things like, everyone's welcome in church. And then you come and then you, you, people start being offended by your behavior and distressing your behavior. And like, oh, I thought everyone was welcome. Correct. Everyone's welcome to come in. You're not welcome to remain the same once you're in. You're not welcome to. Someone's going to provoke you if you've remained the same, right? Otherwise, why would you come? You can stay home and stay the same, except you can't. Because you don't ever get to stay the same, do you? You're either just slowly dying and becoming miserable and bitter and nasty, right? I'm only speaking from my personal experience here. You're either going, you're either going backwards or you're moving forward. There's no stasis in biology. No, there's no biological system that's not growing or dying. You know, there's, no, there's nothing fixed in a biological reality. There's nothing fixed in a human reality. You're either expanding and growing and learning and developing and pushing forward in faith, or you're shrinking into bitterness, fear, and sin. Right? That's why in Equipers Church, we're equipping you for life. We're wanting to provoke you to a place of life, a place of push, a place of lift, a place of breakthrough, right? Because it requires every individual in this place to step into something great if we're going to express this cosmic reality of God's power and goodness and grace and breakthrough. Amen? Are you with me? There's a bunch of other ones that talks about family, uh, talks about family, talks about the temple, talks about ecclesia, and the ecclesia is the gathering of God's people, and that's where you get the misunderstanding that I don't need to come into a gathering to be part of the church because I'm part of this metaphysical gathering of people who acknowledge Jesus. But the ecclesia in ancient times was when that it was that was the term given to the town council, right? And so you'd have, they were called the councillors, you know, like we would call a city council a councillor. But, but the city council, they don't do anything until they meet. You don't just get to be a city councillor and, well, I'm a city councillor, but you haven't been to any of the meetings. <laughs> yeah, but I love being a city councillor, right? But it's actually the coming into the gathering where you function the function that goes with the title. So I'm a Christian, but it's actually coming into the church where I do the Christian things, where we as a group affect the, where we affect what's going on in the world around us. Amen. Okay, we're building something stronger, which requires us to invest time, effort, and energy. It requires us to work hard, and it requires us to deal with mess. Two pictures that I think are real, and I'll, I'm going to do these quickly um, because I reckon they're, they're, they're key things for us. Good. Ephesians refers to us as part of God's family, which is pretty phenomenal, right? The reason, the reason we've got uh, us, this, the thing that connects us here is not our adherence to Equippers Church, right? And everyone said, thank the Lord for that. We're not adherents of Equippers Church. We're followers of Jesus Christ. Right, we do this together here. We call it equipment because you've got to call it something, right? Uh, and, we, and we've got a, we've got a, and it's not equipment that we're agreeing on. It's a, it's a shared heritage that holds us together, right? It's family. This is family, right? And having that's a power, it's a powerful picture. Family says we have a shared heritage that that we can hold on to. Do you know the other thing about family that's pretty important is that family produces the next generation. 
right? So whatever God's doing next, He does in church because it's in church that his, that's His family. That's where He expresses new life. That's where He expresses growth. That's where new people come from. New people come out of families, right? They don't, they don't grow in cabbage patches, right? New people come out of family and they don't just, new adults come out of families as well. See, families don't just produce babies that, you know, you can produce babies without families. That's done regularly, right? Babies happen without family. But family is what produces people of balance and and order and and focus, right? Right? We don't, want need, we don't need more and more babies to make the world a better place. We need more and more adults who are clear about their gifts, talents, and, and how to engage in the world in a way that brings benefit and blessing to people around them, right? And the scary thing about being older is you're not necessarily a grown-up, right? And the longer you go with a gap between being a grown-up and being old, the more and more dysfunctional you become. Like we, if you find yourself like me at 42, still blaming this and that and the other thing for who you are right now, the reality is you have to wind back the clock and say, well, I'm 42. Can't be anybody else's fault. Right? At some point, you've got to get to that, hopefully before you're 42, right? But if you haven't got there yet, just decide now, no, okay, I'm a grown-up because I've come out of this family. And as a church, we, we've come out of this thing in God where we, we become, we're babies in the church and we grow to a position of adulthood. That's the picture of family, right? Family's not a destination though. It's a beginning point. Family's a point. Your family of origin is your family of origin. Families become really dysfunctional when they make family a goal. Oh, you've got to do this for the family and you've got to do that for the family. And, you've got to, you've got, and I've got friends who are held back in their life because they have to keep supporting their family. Whereas the family I grew up in, once you get a, once you, as soon as you get a job, you start paying board. As soon as, as soon as you're old enough to leave the house, our parents were like, go, go away. So when I went flatting, my costs went down. It was a financially advantageous decision. I literally shifted across town in Paraparumu, like five minutes drive away from my parents' house, saved myself a hundred bucks a week by going flatting. Right? Why? That's, that's my parents carefully engineering a world in which I would grow up and move out and do something. Right? My parents didn't, you know... We were always welcome to come back and visit. But they didn't want us living too close to them anymore, right? Why? Because they had a, a picture of growing up children and firing them into the future. That's our view and equippers as well. You get discipled here to go and do something, right? To expand the kingdom in your community and your world, right? Very good. We're not, we're not here just to build the family. We're here to grow in the family and extend the kingdom, right? So family gives us a shared heritage. And in Ephesians, like the temple and the building, the family picture, I think, matches really nice with Ephesians 6. See, family is one thing, but an army is another thing. An army doesn't have a shared heritage in quite the same way that a family does. What an army has is a shared objective. And it's our shared objective that allows us to come from, our shared heritage allowed us, allows us to develop and grow. And it's our shared objective that allows us to take territory. If, we just, if church is just a family, it gets dysfunctional. 
right? We are a family, but we're equally so. We're an army and we're a marriage and we're a, a, a building and we're a temple and we're a body. All of those things are all of the time, right? Which is why it's very hard to think of the church. That's why there's arguments about what church is and why do I have to go to church on Sunday? Well, all of those are, those are boring arguments. The big thing is, well, how do we be a family and an army at the same time? Well, I think we saw it this morning when we prayed for Austin and Brigitte. Right, that we are family and we, and we want to love and support, but we also want to fight for them, right, into their future, right? Right, because we, we have a shared objective. Do you know, objectives are amazing things. Having a goal is a phenomenal thing. Did you know it's not about scoring goals, Life's got nothing to do with scoring goals. The shape of your life is affected by having a goal. Whether you score a goal doesn't determine whether you get the benefit of the goal. Take, for instance, the game of soccer or football, as we have to call it in Wellington nowadays, right? So a game of football, a game of football where no goals are scored is still considered often a very good game. Right, I, I've seen games of rugby, 3-7, that was a good game of rugby. Not because of how many goals were scored, but because of the way each team approached their goal. Right, so having a goal, having a goal in football tells you where to face. It tells you who's against you and who's for you. It tells you what to defend at, to the very last. It, gives you, it tells you where to run when it's time to run, where to run back when the pressure's on. If there's no goals in a game of football, it's not even a game anymore. Imagine a church that didn't see themselves as an army that didn't have a shared objective. Imagine if we just thought we're family. Let's just keep producing life and keep producing life. and Let's just be together and, and just be community. Right? How many of you are already feeling a little uncomfortable? <laughs> right? Because we don't want to just be community. We want to be community that has a shared objective. If you look at any successful army, what does a successful army try to do? Or a successful sports team try to do? They have a shared objective that's obvious to the sports team. But what they have to do to hit their shared objective, they have to build a sense of family. Right? But what does any family need to do if they're going to make a difference and impact the world is we have to build a sense of objective and a sense of focus in what we're doing. Psychologically, just so that those of you who want some scientific evidence, that they can measure the psychological benefit of achieving a goal, right, by the amount of dopamine that's released into your brain, right? So when you achieve a goal, you get a certain hit of dopamine, which is much like the hit you would get if you were to use crack cocaine. Same sort of benefit to your brain. Right, by that, I'm pointing that out for the fact that dopamine hits are addictive and they're designed to lead your whole behaviour. Your brain responds like that when you eat a cream cake because a cream cake is the thing that will keep you alive, right? After a certain point, it becomes the thing that will kill you. But that's a whole nother balance factor, right? So when you achieve an objective, you get a certain hit of dopamine in your brain, right? But every single step you take towards the same objective gives you a slightly bigger hit. A single step towards a goal 
is more rewarding to you biologically and psychologically than the achievement of it at the end, which I think is why God's given us this goal. Go into all of the world and make disciples of nations. It's purposely a goal that's going to keep us focused for a long time. (laughs) Right? This is not something that we're going to achieve it and then think, oh, wow, that wasn't as good as I thought. What this does for us, this allows me, this goal allows me to live my whole life, every single day of my life until the day I die with focus and purpose and destiny. Right? Off the back of my parents living their whole life with a sense of focus and purpose and destiny. Off the back of my grandparents already having lived their lives with a sense of focus and purpose and destiny. It allows me to set my children up with a direction for their future. So my son Elliot loves to write. I'm talking to him about maybe you can be a journalist who shapes the way people think and, can, and corrects the way some people think. My son Austin loves Rainbow Six Siege. So I'm saying maybe you could be a special forces officer and kill evil people. That's, I put that in specifically to offend people of certain political persuasions, right? Maybe, you, maybe that is what he, maybe, maybe he is called into a role in the police or in the military. Do we want people in the military who've got to focus on the discipling of nations? I think that we do. Right? And what this goal does, it gives me direction, gives me focus, and it gives me a sense of what my family's for. So I know my family's my point of origin. It's a strength of heritage that allows me then to stand, as Ephesians 6 says, to put on the armour of God. You don't need, you shouldn't need armour in your family. But the problem with a family that doesn't have an objective, we're all wandering around with swords and armour poking each other. An army without a clear objective, a church that thinks it's just family will ultimately destroy itself in all the mess and the chaos. It's too hard, it's so expensive. But when you've got an objective to set a people group free, an objective to change a nation, that justifies the expense of building something stronger. It justifies the effort of digging holes 1,200 millimetres deep into rock-hard clay in Korea. You don't justify the effort of what the, the guys packing in and packing out of the young adults camp do unless we say, no, we're here because we're an army. We've got a family that we are a family and we love each other, but that gives us the motivation to be an army and pursue an objective. Well, I hope this morning has been helpful for you. It's nearly half past. The keyboard has arrived. Whenever whenever anyone starts playing soft keyboard music, I get hungry for lunch. It's like an involuntary response. Oh, it must be lunchtime. Here's, here's the challenge. Some, some people in this room, uh, you found yourself offended by the, just the glue everywhere of church life. Some of us are offended by the expense of church life. Some of us are offended by the effort. And it's not church life that's messy and hard and offensive. It's life. <laughs> Jesus said this, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Sometimes we think all three of those are options. But it's the, the middle one's not an option. You do, you do have to have a cross. Everyone born with a cross. The moment that you were born, there's a rough date set 
the day you were born, there was a date set for your death sometime in the next 100 years. That's a pretty significant cross to carry. The newborn baby carries the cross. There you go. Happy birthday. (laughs) Carry that. See how you go. And that's why it's great being a child because you're completely unaware of the fact that you're carrying a cross. That's why you have a midlife crisis. That's why 22-year-olds in modern New Zealand are so oppressed. (laughs) You're so oppressed because life is hard. You haven't been oppressed by the patriarchy or or white supremacists or uh, racism. You're just oppressed by life mainly. All those other things are minor problems. The major problem is that you live and you die and what do you do in the middle? Well, I think in the middle, you engage with your family and enjoy it. Come on, if you know, if if there's family, a bad time's a good time. All of, the, all of the things that make you, when you think of all the great family times, you're thinking about, oh, when we went through this and when we went through that. I mean, when this happened, oh, when I broke my leg. These are, this, is, this, is the, this is the thing that makes family, yeah, right? Without family, the bad times are just horrifying. That's why we're in family in church, right? That, so we engage with our family and support and we focus together with comrades to achieve something great for God, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com.